A reading from Isaiah. There will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. reading from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Cleo's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is to say, some of you say, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anybody else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. You know, I didn't realize two and a half months ago what it meant to do this. It's a great Christian education because for the entire time, every morning, I'm thinking, what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? Well, I have no idea. Last night, it occurred to me that everything I had thought about up until last night was wrong. If you really look at the lectionary today and in our Anglican communion, it's the lectionary. We, Richard, our preachers preach on the lectionary. The Old Testament, you heard it, the New Testament, the gospel. So 
I would ask you, did anybody pick up on the lectionary? What stood out in your mind? What message did you hear? What it was trying to get across? You know the answer. No, you know the answer. You heard it at the Bible study the other night. Turns out to be trust. And I have to admit that trust is not my big, my big thing. I mean, I grew up as a, as a kid in science. My world is science. I have to understand how things come to be. In our home, we have a little crystal on a window, and it casts when the sun is in the right spot. Uh, it casts a beautiful little set of rainbows across the room. And in my logical scientific mind, I understand it. There's nothing magic about light passing through a prism and being refracted into a prism. No big deal. But once in a while, in the kitchen, at the other end of the house, well away from my little crystal, there's a little rainbow on the wall. And I love it. It's nice. It lifts my spirits. But I cannot rest until I figure out, no, wait a minute. How did that get there? And then I, I can figure it out. Then I'm subtle. That, that works for me. So changing the subject slightly, but with that understanding of where I'm coming from, in, in our lectionary, well, in the Episcopal Communion, we're not big on evangelism. <laughs> Let's face it, the last time I've knocked on a door to talk to somebody about, have you come to Christ? Well, come to think of it, I never knocked on anybody's door and asked if they came to Christ. But in our lectionary, the trust that they're talking about, going back, now I'll start with, with Isaiah. And I learned a lot about Isaiah in the last two and a half months. He was, he was quite a prophet. He not only for the Christians, but even Islam liked Isaiah. Well, Isaiah's point was trust in God. Now, Ezekiel, is that right? King Isaiah, Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the king of Judah at the time, and uh, they were about to be invaded by Syria. Now, a previous king just paid them off. No big deal. He, he paid off Syrians, and so they didn't have to worry about being invaded. Hezekiah, on the other hand, was a subsequent king. And he was a little irritated having to pay off Syria. So Isaiah convinced him, trust in God. Now, picture this, a little kingdom of Jerusalem with its walls and the entire Syrian army surrounding it. And eventually it was going to take over. It would, it would defeat Israel. But Isaiah convinced the king to trust in God, and the king did. And lo and behold, the next morning, about 180,000 of the Syrian army woke up dead. Now, how did that happen? We don't know, but the assumption is that God saved Israel at that time. Of course, a few generations later, the Babylonians came in, and it was a whole different story. So that, that's Ezekiel, and that's in the Old Testament. The trust in the, new, in the gospel, of course, is, is Christ arrives at a bunch of little fishermen, and, and a month ago, Joanne and I were there. We were at the Galilee, Sea of Galilee, and we could almost picture this happening. Uh, Christ came along, said, follow me. And Peter and his buddies 
gave up everything. He had a business. He had a boat. Uh, and he followed Christ. Uh, some would say Christ was being, he'd been introduced by John. forgot to start my clock. Yep, we're in trouble, Richard. I, this may go over time. But anyhow, John had already been there, and John was a really popular uh, prophet, uh, a crazy kind of guy, but everybody liked John, and they understood him, and he was operating in the same area, Galilean area, that, that Christ ended up work, walking in. John had baptized him, Christ disappeared for 40 days, and now he's back, and John, uh, or Christ is walking by Peter, says, follow me. Peter trusts it. He was waiting. I think he'd been, as a good Jewish man, he'd, he'd understood that at some point there was going to be a Messiah. So along comes Christ, the Messiah. And Peter trusts him, and you know the story from that point on. So in my world, in the scientific world, in order to rationalize in my mind, why these things can happen. Well, we'd have to start from the beginning. And I won't go through the whole thing, but in the beginning, the earth was without form and void, and, and the Spirit of God looked over the void and said, let there be light, there was light. That's in Genesis. In science, yes, there was light. It was a big bang, and that was the creation of the universe. No contest. You know, these fundamentalists that, that argue everything about the Bible and try to make it uh, into their own words. Uh, they have an idea, they want to prove it, so they find something in the Bible. Just because it happened in an instant doesn't mean in God's time, I don't think God works by specific standard time. I think God's day could be an instant. The next day took a little longer, maybe a couple billion years. But if you follow Genesis, you don't really see in my scientific world any difference between Genesis and evolution, which finally gets us to the sixth day. And this is where God has a little problem. He said, among other things, I want to create a unique creature in my own image. What image is that? You don't have an image. Well, of course I have an image. My image is love. My image is compassion. My image is imagination, is intelligence, uh, is appreciation. That is my image. People want to make me into their image. Well, that is my image. So he gets to the, the end of the first day, of the sixth day, and he says, I'm going to add something really unique. I'm going to give this creature free will. Free will? You really want to go there? I want to go there. He said, we don't need the grief. What do you mean we? Free will. So we end up with free will, and I think ever since then, God has sent prophets. <laughs> After seven days, he's looking down and says, Ooh, <laughs> what have I done? He's been sending prophets to get us the message. And they're all sending a message. Some of them are kind of a local message like Isaiah. But what he didn't realize when he gave us that message was that 700 years later, some of what he had prophesied would come true in Jesus Christ. So that's, that's my little world of, of science and how I can relate that to what I do in my Christian life. Now, going back a little ways, I, when I was a kid, I was brought to the Episcopal Church, not by my parents, but by my big brother. 
because he had a girlfriend that he wanted to get next to, and she was an Episcopalian. So that was my early life. And I was taught what I believe when I was a child. As an adult, I've come to that through that little vehicle of free will. I've come to believe what I believe as an adult because I now better understand it. But in my logical way, I still have to, it has to work for me. And there's why I, I am in contrast with the trust, because I'm not being trustful. I'm being logical. But it does make sense to me. So now we get to Paul. I've never been a big fan of Paul. And he says a lot of things that people can manipulate and to use at their advantage. He sticks his foot in his mouth. I think I may have baptized some others. I don't remember. So Paul is not my favorite. But on the other hand, I have to come to realize if Paul was took the word of God, the Jewish God, to the Gentiles, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. I guess that makes me uh, carrying the word that I've come to believe to the skeptics. So maybe I am the new uh, uh, Paul to the skeptics because I can argue life after death. You now we said, when you all know the first law of thermodynamics, right? First law of thermodynamics. Energy cannot be created or destroyed. Since the first day, all the energy in the universe, and scientifically this is believed, nothing's ever been disproven, was created. And as I'm talking to you now, you're sitting in pews that are made of some form of energy. Uh, our bodies are some form of energy. The thoughts in my mind make it on one side of my brain to the other side. That's a form of energy, and science can track it. They can, they can see it happening when you have an emotion. They can see it traveling from one side of your head to the other. So there's no contrast there. That's, that's reasonable. That's logical. Then, since we're in church, if you take some portion of that energy that creates us, that makes, makes Joanne, Joanne, makes, makes uh, uh, you guys, you guys, individually, and put that form, that unique bit of energy that cannot be created or destroyed, put it all together, and there's an argument here, but let me call it a soul. Just It's energy, it's scientifically proven, it's not going to go away, and so isn't it reasonable that that soul uh, would go on forever? Can't be just, it can't be destroyed. So that kind of gives me a logical explanation of life after death. And Dr. Green, in this lecture that we heard 15 years ago, also went on to say there were no less than 19 dimensions. Now, I know my three dimensions. I work with them all the time. Time being a fourth dimension, it's a stretch for me to begin to comprehend. And when he was asked, what about these other five dimensions? What do they do? And Dr. Green said, well, in, in typical scientific rhetoric, we don't know. We don't know what they we just know they have to be there for the whole universe to make sense. So in my mind, and, in, and I, I just mentioned this to you because this would go on and on and on if I really got into it, those dimensions could well explain what we understand to be ghosts, out-of-body experiences, uh, heaven. Why not? But here's one that I, I'm confident that you all can relate to, and that's that simple 
synergistic energy that we experience when there's someone you're close to and you have the same thought at the same time. Joanna and I do it frequently. I haven't thought of Mike McGuire for a long time. I wonder how they're doing. You know, I was about to call Mike and we hadn't thought of him for a month. Why is that? Coincidence? Nah, it happens too often. And I know that you've all experienced that. So that kind of opens the door to the possibility that these dimensions have a certain amount of sense, not merely in science, but along with our lectionary. Because without the trust that I have that this science is real, uh, I'd be lost. So my evangelistic effort among the skeptics uh, would also be lost. I was going to tell you all about my science experiments as a kid, but we won't go there now because I could still get in trouble for that. I'm probably on overtime. Sorry about that. But I leave it to you with this last thought, that synergism that I feel when Joanna and I are close together. It's also present for me here. And this is one of the reasons that I come to church. It's one of the reasons that I believe in organized religion despite its fallacies, its problems, its human error. Uh, there's a lot of bad things to be said about organized religion. But on the other hand, that alone gets me into this room with you all at least once a week. And when I'm here, I can feel that synergism, that, that, that what happens in science when more than one element come together and it is better than the single element. There's a scientific phrase about that. But I feel that. And if nothing else, that is why I can tell my friends it's worthwhile coming to church. You don't have to believe this. You don't have to believe that. You don't have to believe the Anglican approach. You know, what I, I did want to say one thing. We have had, I want to say this at the very beginning, but we've had the, the, the fortune and luxury of in this little parish of having some really good preachers beginning with Murray Hammond. Murray Hammond used to say, when he got up on the pulpit, put him 18 inches above contradiction. <laughs> and in, in the Episcopal community, everybody knows nobody is above contradiction. You never see Richard up there. Would I agree, would you agree that you're not above contradiction? <laughs> so, and in Murray's honor, I'm wearing his red socks. His Murray Hammond's, those of you who remember, he always wore red socks. So, that's for Murray. Uh, but at the end of the day, I guess I need to close with the point. And the point I've been trying to make for the whole thing is that our science and our faith don't have to be opposed. If you look for that glass to be half full, then indeed you can find it. Uh, I want to believe what I believe, and so I can find a way to believe it. If you want to disbelieve, of course, you're going to find a way to contradict it. But that's why God may have made a mistake at the beginning when he gave us all that free will. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God 
and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.